That might be the most difficult part of dealing with John during football season. Yes. The Steelers are crushing it right now. Right. And so is he. (laughs) It feels good. The Caliendo Cast with Frank Caliendo, John Holmes. You know what? That's good enough. Are you actually selling terrible towels, John? Is that no? But I do have. I do have. I have plenty to choose. If you want, I've got like <laughs> nothing right here in front of me. If you guys want to, you have ex- like you have extras, don't you? Well, I have probably thirty of these. Yeah. In a normal year on a football Sunday, this room I'm sitting in packs with people, and uh, the towels are going and the music's playing. And- not but anymore, the- or not currently. <laughs> No, and, and now I built this gigantic thing on my house for all these Steeler get-togethers. And it's the first year we haven't lost a game. I'm burning this thing down. The second this, this year, if we go all the way, this it's coming down. I'm telling you, it's worth taking a shot at getting COVID. Get all your friends in there. Just go against all the rules. Right. We're all too superstitious to even try coming yep. in here. So even if right. they cured it tomorrow... Yep, we stay at home until there's an L in that other column. There, if there's a one in the L column, this all opens up again. Otherwise, no, right. sir. Nope, nope, not going to do it. Not all right, our, in it. Our guest today <laughs> is Major Garrett. He's been with us before, probably uh, if not my favorite episode. It's way up there. Um, he was, uh, yeah, unbelievable. And Major, you told me that you share that episode with friends uh, because yeah. there's information comes out that's. You've never told anybody in that one, so absolutely, yeah, yeah. You bring it out of me, Frank. You bring it out. What can I say? <laughs> is it Frank uh, or is it the drink of the viceroy? Which was the one that brought it out of you? Well, the drink of the viceroy doesn't hurt. It always helps, <laughs> especially now. Man, I need it more than ever. Yeah, yeah. Me, so I, I was up in New York uh, for about three weeks uh, for preparing for election night, election night, and then everything afterwards. And New York, as you know, is shut down. Midtown Manhattan, Times Square is all shut down. And we basically did two things. We went to the studios to rehearse or do our work, and then went back to the hotel across the street, got takeaway, and sat in our room, and that's it. So I was deprived of my beloved gin and tonic, the drink of the Viceroy, for the better (laughs) part of three weeks. And I'm very happy to be back in my own home where the supply never runs out because I keep a very close eye on it. And um, here we go. So There There it is. (laughs) And it's almost gone already. Nice work. This is what I like to see. Well played. And I listened to your podcast uh, episode that just came out, Major, uh, the debriefing, uh, uh, the 46th president, which I believe is referring to somebody who I believe is not really existent yet. Yeah. Um, Coming at you, Mr. President. Coming at you. It's a it's a really great listen. Toledo producer listened to it and texted me about it. He's like, wow, this is really good. I'm like, it's Major Garrett, man. It's and everyone else at CBS. What we did. So I have a show you've been on, Frank, several times. The Takeout, which is my interview show, just like this. One one guest, one conversation. The debrief is something else. It's another dimension of the podcast world I've jumped into, which is news of the here and now, but a good deal of history to sort of tell us how we got to where we are and maybe project a little bit into the future. What we did. And it's much more to cut you off here. I'm sorry. but It's much more adult. It's news. It sounds news like it's news magazine feeling. Mm -hmm. It walk. It paints pictures for you. 
um, on the audio that's just fantastic and lots of uh, secondary sound and stuff like that. Yeah. that just really sells it and you get you feel like you're there and part of it. It's an immersive experience, we hope, and it is beautifully put together by my audio engineer, Jamie Benson, and he finds great sound that sort of makes what we're putting together more accessible, feels better, more cool, it's got a vibe to it. But what we did last week for this week's episode is we gathered as many correspondents that we had with CBS all over the country covering this election, had them basically dispatch us little vignettes of wherever they were, whatever they were doing in their iPhones. We put it all together. So you have the sights and sounds, well, just the sounds actually, you can imagine the sights, of election night and election week. In addition to that, as you heard, internal CBS communications, the yeah. the coin of the realm. When we're calling races and you hear our head of the decision desk call Pennsylvania for Biden and then Nora O'Donnell go on the air seconds later. I will tell you that here's an amazing thing about that when listening to it. I don't know what it is, if it's ingrained in me from these last four years, or I do have a skepticism of a lot of press and stuff like that. Sure. I mean, uh, of media, I should say. Yeah, sure. Um, and I, I think it's healthy to do that. I, I think it's, yeah. you should always ask questions. I don't, I don't do it to try and start trouble. I just do it to, I took a class years ago called uh, um, Media and Critical Thinking, uh, Critical Thinking in the Mass Media with my professor, Professor Hoffman at UW-Milwaukee. Um, and uh, it, it's just uh, always asking questions. But to hear the silence after the name was called after Joe Biden is yeah. the 46th president. You hear silence. You're yep. like in so many places I've heard before. And we talked about John and I, and you don't have to react to this major to keep your job. But John talked about this mostly last week with Wolf Blitzer going over to everything. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. It, yeah. It was that, basically yeah. just then to turn the state blue, turn the state blue. That was like, he just couldn't wait for it to happen. No. And it was just such a reaction to things that haven't happened. And, and I think it's dangerous in a weird way to say, here's where it could unfold, rather than just how is this unfolding, not right. these scenarios. And then no. that opens the door to skepticism. I had a discussion based on what Frank just said with somebody this week, where the word skepticism has been replaced with dismissal. Yes. You can't be skeptic anymore. You're automatically somebody who dismisses it all. And, and the words critical thinking aren't used enough. So I don't know if... Either of you saw anything that I did during election week at the big board, looking at the yep. maps. And I always said, these are not our scenarios. Right. These are the campaign scenarios. We don't have a path. There is no right. path that we chart for anyone here. Yeah. What's happening? This is what the campaigns are looking at. And this is how they're trying to calculate their probabilities. I tried to say that or at least convey that as best I could on live television, because I do think when people hear, well, here's Joe Biden's path. Right. Somehow it sounds like we're trying to lead him on this path to victory. Right. We're not. I'm not. I don't care. I've told you, Frank, I've been on the show. I don't care who wins. Right. I don't. Yeah. Not professionally. I don't. I have no feeling about it whatsoever. And as you heard me end this week's podcast, the feeling that I had when I heard Anthony make that call internally was the exact same feeling I had four years ago when history was being made and something very different in this country was happening. It's the same feeling. It's the great privilege of the work I do. I get to be right there when history is made. But the direction is not determined by me, and I don't even want to suggest to anyone I have any role. I don't want any role in directing it. I just want to observe it. 
And well, I don't get that feeling it. from a, a lot of people, but that's what I do love about what you do. And I'm telling you, I, as I was listening to your podcast, I kept waiting for moments of emotion from anybody and either it just wasn't there and it's a professional operation or you're a really great editor or you have a great <laughs> right. major. I mean, <laughs> do you see that uh, people do care not to say name names, but are there people you're like, wow, this guy's definitely got an agenda. I have to be careful with the information. In, within CBS? Well, yeah, with, well, within any of them, but you're currently at CBS. No, no, no. I, I don't feel like uh, we, we have any of that. Now, look, uh, there are those who listen to and watch Gail King and say, well, she's got a point of view. She, Gail King has a point of view. I think it's pretty obvious. Yep. Um, and that's what Gail King does. And Gail King is a, is a phenomenal broadcaster and a great, enter- a great entertainer in the, in the sense that she asks the question at the table that I think is on the minds of 90% of our viewers, she just like breaks it down. Like, let's get to wait, what's all this complicated stuff. What, let me, let's just get right down to it. And she's brilliant at that. Um, but I think if someone were to say, well, I wonder where Gail King is, they'd probably say she's probably a little center left, maybe a little bit more. That's what I, that's the impression I get. I don't, I mean, I've never discussed it with Gail, but I think that's the way she presents herself, but we don't have that issue at CBS. We're, we're not trying to play this any way, shape or form. Quite honestly, we're trying to, enlarge our audience by being as reliable and visibly and perpetually nonpartisan as we possibly can. That's a hard thing to do to be commercially successful. Let us be candid, but that's what we do. And that's what we're trying to do. And as the week progressed last week, I'm happy to say we won the night Friday night and we won the night Saturday night. We had the most ratings of anybody. So maybe it was working. Yeah. It's funny. I was just going to say, do you think that the television aspect of it, because it's become an event. It's been po- yeah. it's become political Super Bowl, and everybody is about ratings. Do you think that's changed? Because I don't know if it's the if it's changed how people report it, or if it changes how people consume it. Because it feels different than it did. It feels bigger and more important. Uh, I, I, I don't even think it feels more important on the surface. It feels more important. Every, every election they tell us we're on the brink of the end of the United States. Right. <laughs> and this is, this is the most it's ever fe- yeah. felt like that right. to me in terms of people reporting it and going to the street, but it's, it's in everybody's head so much that this is such a big thing until the opposition win or until you win. And you're like, well, we can't get anything done. Our guy can't get anything done, even with the Congress on our side. It's the president has no power. So what do you think that the in terms of the, you know, the television presentation of it has has that changed anything or what do you think it's done? So on the network television side and television in general, I, I don't think we've amplified anything, but we certainly capture things in their immediacy and their spontaneity. Now, look, if you were to tap somebody on the shoulder in 2000 before the recount started in Florida and say, what's your emotional center about Al Gore or George W. Bush? They would have said, uh, I'm not sure I have one. You know, one way or the other will be fine. I think if you ask a lot of people on the Trump side and on the Biden side, what's your emotional center about the outcome of this election? They would have said, I'm in genuine turmoil. I'm completely spun up about this. I am wrapped as tightly around the axle as I've ever been for American presidential election. I think that's what would have been their honest response. And television captures that. You can see it. You can feel it. 
as you saw the lines of early votes, people like, I wouldn't miss this for anything. I've been in online for six hours uh, on the, both the Trump and the Biden side. And then when the call came on Saturday, look, it's not as if they had Biden organizers in 50 different cities in this country saying instantly run out and start honking your horns and jumping and doing cartwheels. People just did that because that was their emotional gravity. That was their center dealing with this. That's what they felt. TV does capture that. But the other thing that TV doesn't do is TV can't augment what social media does. And social media and TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and everything else, they capture that quite independently of us. We're always trying to catch up with that and memorialize it the way we memorialized the 60s and the 70s. Now, network television then was a behemoth. It stood astride everything. Nothing vectored in this country that didn't vector first through the networks. That's not true anymore. We're a participant, but we don't stand astride things anymore. We don't set the national mood. We help capture it. We're part of that conversation, but we don't capture it and sort of cement it like the networks did in the 60s and 70s. You say that, that you think TV doesn't capture or does the job of capturing it. How much do you think they do the job of creating it than capturing it? Because I think there's, and, and along with social media as well, there is a creation to the, the friends. Do people uh, respond differently when cameras are around? Of course yeah. they do. Uh, and we've become much more performative as a society now that we have our own cameras. We're our own actors. We're our own actresses. We have our own rehearsals all the time. <laughs> it's true. That's something we just didn't do 20 years ago. We did not have the sense of I'm here. I'm important. I'm going to capture myself. <laughs> we just didn't do that as a culture. That's now embedded. Uh, children start doing that at age four. I, I, they just do it. They just naturally. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and that the funny part is, is we're three guys staring into a screen. Aimed right. at us, Wondering how this is happening. <laughs> I mean, uh, it is this idea of capturing ourselves, capturing our moment and recording it as if the world is interested. And, I think there was a humility we had about ourselves 20 years ago that's a little in jeopardy. It's like, no, the world is interested in this. Are you certain? Are you really sure the world's interested in it? Well, we're going to put it out there and see what happens. And then we go through this phase of semi-trauma if it isn't. How many likes or clicks or whatever? Quite happily, I'm too old for all of this. I just observe it. I don't participate. You, I don't know if you did this on purpose or if it, how it came about, but when you just talked about the observance, you said network television. At network television, yeah. we yeah. do this. Do you think cable goes astray from that some? Or, because well, I, 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 so cable has uh, a lifeblood that is continuous. So cable is always capturing or regurgitating. That's the only two things that cable does, capture or regurgitate. That's it. So when the news is really big, the cable networks go full on, flood the zone, and capture everything. And then when the news begins to recede and the story has died down, then it regurgitates for some period of time, eight hours, 12 hours, if it's a really big story, 48 hours. But it's two things, capture or regurgitate. That's it hmm. in the cable world. The networks have a morning show and a night show. And so in between, they're trying to capture a lot of things, synthesize, and present something that is a coherent rendering of that whole day's events, not just the capturing and the regurgitating and sort of refining it to a certain degree. So network news broadcasts are fundamentally different than cable. I've worked in both. 
I've had a very good career in both, but they're different animals entirely. Do you, do you enjoy? Find it, go ahead. I just do you enjoy what you're doing more right now on the network side, not having to regurgitate that news cycle and 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 just keep churning. Yeah. Yeah, when I left Fox in 2010, I had been at CNN for two and a half years before that. So it was 10 years straight through of cable. That's on average 20 live shots a day. Uh, and I was very happy to get off that treadmill, ecstatic to get off that treadmill. Do you find, though, that you say the regurgitate thing? Um, I went back and did a little weird research of my own uh, on last Saturday, trying to figure out the last televised election or last uh, speech that a president gave after being named president-elect where he didn't say we needed to heal. And, uh, and, and I, it's like we've got this festering wound we just can't figure out, or we've got uh, some type of uh, skin condition. And I went back all the way to Carter, the best I could find, and his first speech was we need to heal. Of course, Reagan's first speech was we need to heal. And it also was the people on the panels of network TV. And I kind of feel like it's not necessarily regurgitating for eight hours the way you describe it, but it's a template for what we say every single time rather than to look at what we really need to do. Yeah, we do two things lately. We change and we heal. Yeah, oh, we, we heal. <laughs> well, we say we do, yeah. We, what we, am I for? I'm for change. Now that we've changed, I want to heal. Okay, <laughs> well, how's, how's, how's that going? And I think we had this in our last conversation, uh, the fair-minded voters of this country have tried just about every combination. They're going to try, it looks like, a brand new one. So they had Republicans in the House and Senate and the presidency. Then they had Democrats in the House and the Senate and the presidency. Then they had a Democratic president and Republicans in the House and Senate and a Republican president and Democrats in the House and Senate. Now we're going to try a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Republican Senate, possibly. That's a new combination. But anyway, my point is, over the last 20 years, the fair-minded and good-hearted voters of this country have tried all sorts of combinations. It's not as if they're not trying. No. Get something that fixes this Rubik's Cube of either things happening in a big partisan jerk when the majorities are large enough, or basically nothing happening except federal judges getting appointed and confirmed and everyone looking around saying, can we do anything else in this country? Seriously? Is there well, anything it, else we can do besides that? Well, the one side's healing is the other side's change, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they make the change and then it's, it's like what you're right. Because to, so if you're on the other, if you're on the losing side of change, you're like, I don't want to heal. I want to change. And if you're on the winning side of change, you said, I want to heal. I feel like healing. Don't you feel like healing? <laughs> well, Major, you said it, too, because like uh, like CBS, for instance, had to see and I'm sure did and won the night. 70 million people one way, 71 million people the other. Yeah. So there's a healthy aspect of knowing most of us are kind of probably in the middle of that. There's a huge audience to play the middle. And I don't know why politicians don't see that. They say they do, but there's this pull on either side because I think, my opinion, and I want you to either correct me or go, that the cable news networks and to some extent network news has to play to the fringe because they're the ones who pay attention when things are boring. Well, the, the, certainly the cables, uh, and quite explicitly, this is not a revelation, Fox and MSNBC have a business model built around that. Yeah. And my biggest complaint with that is that when every interview that you do as a political figure at the national level, meaning if you're a member of Congress or you're a cabinet secretary or you're a senator, if every interview you grant is essentially a home game, your muscles atrophy because you're never challenged. You don't have to deal 
with hostile, penetrating questions about the other side that you're not on. And what also happens with that is you don't have to learn anything about the other side. You don't have to even put it in your frame of reference because it doesn't come at you. It comes at you if you're on the floor of the House or Senate and giving a speech and casting your vote, but you've already decided what to do there. And so this home team concept of cable coverage, I just think makes us very weak in terms of our political leaders understanding where the other person, man or woman, is coming from. And when you don't have that and you're not invested in it and you don't have to spend any time working on it, why would we expect polarization to become any less easy? It becomes easier. It's much easier that way. That's, all where, all your, that's where all your muscle memory is. Even in boxing, if, uh, if a contender continually fights lower level competition, someone says you've got to take the challenge. And it doesn't seem like that happens in politics. It, it happens less and less. I'm not saying this is universal and nobody goes on the other networks, but it's rare. Yeah. And it's become so easy to stay within your sphere. And it's a look, let's get right down to brass tacks. It is a lead pipe career advancer. OK, if you're a nobody Republican congressman who shows up on Fox six times in two weeks, well, suddenly you're, you have more fundraising cloud. You have more ability to create for yourself identity and visibility and therefore political vitality. Same thing on MSNBC. You're talking to the hungriest audience who wants you to succeed and is willing to send you money to help that. That's how you get your visibility. I mean, it's your brand. that's the low I minor mean, leagues. Yeah, that's how you work yeah. your way up to the to the big team. It allows you to uh, propel your message forward right. as opposed to have any opposition to your message, thus building your brand. I mean, I had a I had a class in um, in college. It was uh, broadcast ethics. And uh, it was funny because the teacher I always wanted to give the other side of the the story. And he's like, no, 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 you're just giving the one side. I go, but isn't this broadcast ethics? <laughs> Why am I not? He's like, well, that doesn't help your argument. I said, but the idea is to be ethical, right? He goes, not on this paper. I go, well, then it should be broadcast ethics minus this one paper. Um, what was, Frank, what was so you told me several times, Frank, you made a lot of money in that class. In Italian and broadcast ethics, you did very well. You, yeah. we, we would get the lottery numbers in advance. So, every so, so that class was really broadcast X. Yeah. Uh, yeah broadcast. Icky. Broadcast X. Because that was Ix. the feeling. Okay. Yeah. It, it was. Uh, well, this is the first. What I wanted people to get from this is to to uh, hear your ne neutrality and understand that you go into this without a, a bias um, or as, as little bias as possible. Because we, as we've talked about before. Right. There's always some sort of bias. Exactly. But where where are we right now? Now, um, in terms of the 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 national election, Joe Biden has been called by the media, but not certified votes. Because and the reason I'm doing this part mm -hmm. of this is because sure. I get so many texts from people with so many stories all the time. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I'd rather go to to major. Right. Uh, and Toledo suggested this like a week ago. He's like, Major Garrett would be a great person to get on. So we have some facts finally. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's a great idea. And then today I just texted you out of the blue. I was like, hey, this would be perfect if you I thought I didn't know if you'd have time or what. But so right now, Biden has been called president by the media. Sort of mm -hmm. the votes have not been certified. Correct. Correct. But it's it looks like I mean, it's it's falling way on his side pretty far. Um, uh, barring something that if. Trump keeps coming up with all these, uh, you know, their grandiose um, 
you know, feel like Hail Marys, but there's never a, 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 a specific like mm. there's this there's something that's going to happen that's huge mm. and we're going we've got a lot of things happening mm. and yeah. but you never know what any, any of them are right. so set us straight with um the so, realities let's start with this basic question can we have an election in this country in which the margins in unexpected states are incredibly close stunningly close and the media calls it and a president is elected. <laughs> yes. It happened in 2016. Yeah. The candidate who won was named Donald Trump. And his opponent conceded and the transition began immediately. And were there recounts? Yes, there were. Did the transition wait for the recounts to be completed and the votes to be certified? No, it didn't. That's how I know it can happen, because I watched it with my own eyes. <laughs> and so did everyone else in this country that was born then and alive, okay? So uh, to answer the president's tweet from this week, since when does the media get to call an election? Since you were elected. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? Okay, so 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 right. and, uh, so I can, I can hear I can hear I can feel the steam coming out of the ears of some of your audience, Frank. Jim, when are you going to get to the certification part? Okay, fine. Slow down. We're going to get there. Here's the good news. We in our country since 2000 and the whole recount thing there at the state level spent a lot of time getting ballots that are paper, that are clearly marked, that don't have punches or chads or anything like that. They're read on sophisticated equipment. There is a blocking mechanism within them. So no software hacking can occur. And guess what? Because the paper ballot is the thing that's being read in the first place, whether it's voted in person or absentee, you can't hack a paper ballot, period, ever, end of story. All of this will be verified. All of this will be mathematically tabulated in full sight in every state, Arizona, all this Maricopa County stuff, the cameras have been on 24-7. Same thing in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, I should let your audience know, a year ago with a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor set the terms for how to conduct its election. Now I hear you. What about the mail-in ballots that arrived up to three days after Election Day? Yes, they've been segregated. They're not even part of Biden's 46,000 vote margin. They're not even part of that. They haven't even been tabulated yet. And they're actually pretty small in number. So did the Supreme Court say, you know, we're going to take a look at this if it's determinative to the outcome of that election? Well, guess what? It's not going to be. So this Supreme Court, because it is made up of Trump appointed and other Republican appointed strict constructionists who, per the Constitution, defer to state legislatures because they're the state will of the people, are not going to get involved. So that's it. It's over except for one thing. The person at the top of our government comprehending that it's over. And I'm not just spouting off here. I talk to people in the president's inner circle almost every day. They all know this. They're just trying to work and coax him to this place. Well, all right. <laughs> but that's your job. And the country is, to a certain degree, 
going through a second stage of trauma because you're not there yet. We're waiting for you. Now, is there some aspect of the Trumpian ego that loves to still be the center of the story for as long as possible? Absolutely. But the country's turning away and the country will turn away because this presidency, by the will of the people, not because I said it or anyone else said it, but because the will of the people is ending and will end on January 20th, whether he's there or not. If he doesn't want to show up, fine. You don't have to be there. You don't have to have Joe Biden in the White House. He's been there before. He knows what it looks like. <laughs> you, you don't even have to concede. There's nothing in the Constitution that requires you to concede. There's part of the American story that encourages it, that finds grace and dignity in it. But if you're not into that, withhold it. And history See, will write about you and judge you accordingly. I think he has every right, uh, you know, any 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 uh, presidential candidate who loses has a right to say, I want to see all the official votes counted. Yeah. Um, but what I really didn't like and John and I were texting back and forth is when he went on TV and said, and I won this and election. Won. Right. It was yeah. like, yeah, no. that I mean, that's no. just uh, that's well, to me, that got, that got wildly dangerous. And I'm not. One yes, of those. that yes. got. Because it's the same president that I actually gave the benefit of the doubt to for saying, I don't want to cause a stir with coronavirus. So I downplayed it. Mm -hmm. What he did last Thursday was we're not a country anymore. I mean, the free and fair election is dead and gone. Uh, there will be no peaceful transfer of power. And it's up to you guys. And we had a caravan of people with Trump flags drive right down to the election committee here mm -hmm. with that in their heads. And yeah. the dangerous thing to me has been. The last four elections, maybe longer than that, but for sure the last four presidential elections has constantly been a seed water that says these aren't fair. Mm -hmm. Something's crooked. Something's mm -hmm. wrong. And it's teaching people through 20 years of this that you're eventually going to run into this. And we happen to have a guy in charge that shouted it out Thursday. This isn't little anymore. It's all over. You have no cornerstone of democracy. They've taken it from you. And it, and it scared me because I thought this is people are going to get shot over Sharpies. And, yeah, and I, don't right. think, I don't think paranoia that way. But when he did that, I got nervous. But in the same aspect, they, they and we've talked about this on my show, I think here on the on the podcast, too. Didn't they open too many doors and have too many cooks in the kitchen to allow someone like Trump to say, mm -hmm. I, I've, got, I've got six angles here, whereas right. before it, the ballot was one thing, nobody was allowed to touch it. Right. And now you're given full families like are you know, handing in packets. And it's just a lot of stuff went on to give him that avenue. Well, okay. There's, there's several things there. First of all, did we vote differently because of a pandemic? Yes. There was more, there was more voting by mail and states turned to vote by mail in a more rapid fashion than is customary. That's true. But because of that, election officials knew the scrutiny would come down like a ton of bricks and no election official at the county or state level does anything but live in mortal fear of a close election because a close election brings massive scrutiny. So you've got to get everything right. You've got to have cameras there where you're counting. You have to have custody. You have to have chain of custody like you have to have in a federal drug trial. What's the chain of custody? I used to cover those when I was a cop reporter 100 years ago. And you sit through three days of testimony just to go through the federal chain of custody. Well, I handed the baggie to this person and the baggie and it's stored in here. Blah, 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 blah. Same thing with the votes. It's all there. And if it isn't, the courts will intervene and say what happened. And so far, there's not been a single non-hearsay affidavit submitted in any of these pieces of litigation that go to anything that is actually structural 
or would talk about the actual tabulation or rendered votes. Nothing. And what about and, those stories? And trust me, if they had it by now, they would have filed it and they don't have it. But what about those stories you hear? Is this just what happens with the Internet and people creating stories? Because I have, you know, I see this as I'm scrolling through on the Internet, people saying, well, they wouldn't let the cameras in. They wouldn't let the poll watchers in in Philadelphia. They were there. They were there. They were there. Yeah. Now, did the Trump campaign go to court and win a, a, a court order that they be the observers instead of being 10 feet away, be six feet away? Yes. So they move four feet closer. <laughs> that happened four feet closer to the presidency that's yeah, what I four, four feet closer to the accounting that doesn't Which change going to be the, the name of my new network and it doesn't <laughs> and it doesn't change the number of ballots and here's another thing i want people to keep in mind first of all in detroit which is in wayne county and philadelphia the city of in philadelphia county president trump outperformed his performance in 2016 so the conspiracy if there was one, was to make him get more votes than the last time. When to carry out the verdict of the election, you would most want to suppress Trump's vote there because that way you could get it away with it more easily because it was so low the last time. Point one. Point two. Let me just describe this idea, this concept of a grand democratic conspiracy. Let's see how it was put together. I know what we'll do will elect Biden by a narrow margin that creates lots of doubt, emasculating him from a mandate from the very get-go. And you know what else we'll do? We'll make sure the House Democratic majority is smaller and <laughs> Senate Democrats don't win the majority. That's our master plan. Neuter ourselves. Yeah. Well, At the get-go. How about that? <laughs> That's all part of the simulation. That sounds to me like a massive George Soros cover the world, globalize everything, masterstroke. Are you <laughs> effing kidding me? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I tell people this. I got into a, I got into a, a text argument with a guy who is a ridiculously right wing. I mean, right of Genghis Khan guy. And he started to tell me all the theories and all the stuff. And I said, why do you want this to be right? Because if it is. It's the biggest, uh, it's the most treasonous thing that's ever occurred in our country. Mm -hmm. And it has collapsed what you think will be saved, if, if at all any of this is true. In fact, if it is a little true, keep me in the fucking dark, because I don't <laughs> want it to. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not trying to talk anybody out or, or into anything. I'm just trying to ask you to step back from a second. Step back from whatever it is you're thinking about for a second and look at the practical realities. Right. The practical realities of this situation is we're going to have divided government where I think a lot of voters voted strategically. Look again at the, suburb the suburbs around Atlanta and Philadelphia and in Michigan. Voters there did something less so in Michigan, but certainly very visibly in the, around the Philadelphia, Pittsburgh suburbs and the Atlanta suburbs. They did something that's very rare these days, which is vote strategically. And by that, I mean not vote straight ticket, meaning all Republican or all Democrat, especially in the Philadelphia suburbs, Chester County, Montgomery County, Bucks County. They voted against Trump, but they voted for Republicans for state legislative races and congressional races. So they actually divided their ballot and said, you know, Biden this, Republican that. Did the same thing in the Atlanta suburbs. Not enough to make sure that David Perdue wouldn't have to face the Senate runoff as an incumbent, but still he was the net vote total winner, plurality winner. But they did that. They actually I think voted that's, strategically. They thought I think about that's, it. 
uh, Major, I think that's where a lot of people think this conspiracy comes in. They're like, well, what happened here was the Alex Joneses are thinking, uh, you're looking at uh, a, a divided vote. That never happens. That right. never fucking happens. Right. Yeah. Well, guess but what it does? I, I Listen, it, and it I, does. Uh, it used to happen a lot. It used to happen a lot. Uh, it happens less so now. But if, if uh, but I had neighbors, even though but before you go on, yeah. I had neighbors and I said this to John right before, because a, a week or two before I said I and I wasn't go, trying to project either way of my bias or anything like that. I try to stay neutral, too. And I looked and I said, I think Trump's going to win this thing. I think Trump, I think I told Toledo that too. And then a couple days before I go, no, 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 no. I just talked to more people and a lot of people. And even though Arizona went Democrat for the, um, the Senate seat, um, uh, a lot of people were splitting their vote. More yeah. people, I, they didn't like Donald Trump. They didn't like the rhetoric and the, the way he went after people. But they're like, I'm, I, they said they were Republicans and that was, that was their way of strategically, you know, doing and being smart about it. And look at Arizona. Trump ran ahead of Martha McSally. They did it there. Yeah. Trump outperformed a, an incumbent senator because Republicans are like, I don't really like her. I still dig Trump, but just not enough. I mean, it happens. <laughs> it happens. And, and let me tell you, 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 roll, you roll these ballots through. They get read. It's not like, oh, we're going to fix it in a way to count one and not. No, you can't, it doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. And people did vote strategically. And that tells you there is something dramatic and important about the Trump persona on the plus side and on the negative side. Look, you heard me in my podcast, the debrief, Frank, I at the end said, this is a completely unusual situation. Incumbents, when they lose, don't grow their popular vote. They get thrashed. Herbert Hoover didn't grow his popular vote in 1932. George Herbert Walker Bush didn't grow his popular vote in 1992. Neither did Jimmy Carter in 1980. They all got thrashed and their parties suffered in Congress. Trump's popular vote went up and Republicans held serve in the Senate. Maybe we'll see about these two runoffs. And they gained a couple of seats in the House. That's highly unusual. That's part of the unusual Trumpian effect on politics. But it's also highly personalized. Like, I can't take this dude another four years. And I talked to a Republican strategist and Democratic strategist before the election and came across something that they'd never seen before, which is this. They do focus groups, even by Zoom. It's a little bit more difficult, but they still did the work. And people would say, you know, on policy, I'm kind of with where the Republicans are and with the president, but I can't stand him. So I'm voting against him. And they're like, what? Wait a minute. Your economic interests, where you look at the world, your value structure is closer to him, but you can't stand him. And that's that's the thing, the personality, the temperament. It's like, yep, can't do it. That's not everybody, but it was clearly enough people in enough places to make a difference. Do you think he wins the election with uh, without that first debate? Do you think Trump wins that if he acts like a normal human being in that first debate? It didn't help. It certainly didn't help. It was a reminder of that sense of, if not, maybe trauma is too strong a word, but kind of. Uh, yeah, I think it goes hand in hand with what you just said, is that the people who were like, I, I just I don't like him show me a reason to like you. And he did that. And I think it just cut those people off. It certainly didn't help. But uh, the one thing that I have, I think I've said to you before, and it's so true. The forget me machine around Trump is so enormous. Things that you're certain you'll never forget are 
completely wiped away from your memory in a week. So even with that bad debate performance, which would hang and drag down a, a typical politician, didn't. I mean, it wasn't helpful. But all of his activity that closing week and five or six rallies a day, people sort of forget about it. I mean, there really is this thing about Trump that makes you forget what you just saw and we're sure you were never forget. It happens all the time. Right. That's why I'm one of the men in black. <laughs> Do, is there worry that Trump, uh, you know, will go out there? And I was reading some stuff today about how he's out there just campaigning and not really looking at um, and this again, I, I'm just reading this stuff. I, I'm mm-hmm. not I don't know for sure, but it, it says he's out campaigning more and not really worried about the day to day stuff. But it's funny to me because the media, you know, it's the same media that's complaining that they don't want him doing anything because he's always making a mess of it. Uh, right. So uh, I, I think he is based on my conversations. I don't have any personal insight into this. Uh, I think he's moving through the process. Uh, he fired his defense secretary and he put in a bunch of loyalists over at the Pentagon. That's a little bit unnerving, but... Uh, <laughs> Why would we need them? <laughs> that in the United States military, you swear an oath to the Constitution, not to any president, and you are I can not do it. I can required do it. under any circumstances. You're actually... In, you are required to ignore an unlawful order. You are only required to carry out an lawful order and the joint chiefs and everyone is still there. So I think there's enough stability there, but there's some anxiety about what's going on at the Pentagon. But I think the president is not that actively involved in things like, well, do you want a lame duck Congress to approve another coronavirus stimulus plan? If he were thinking about that, he could be engaged in that. There's no evidence to suggest that he is. The one thing I would say about this era is, oh, my gosh, it's so dangerous not to have the transition beginning. It's not a good look. It's bad for the American story. But it's not as if Joe Biden is unfamiliar with the White House or his team. They are. It's not as if he's coming as a governor from Idaho and doesn't know anything about Washington. He knows it all very deeply. The transition, their transition would be occurring mostly virtually anyway. It wouldn't all be at GSA, the big headquarters. They wouldn't all be piling in there, 200 people filling every office. And Biden has a sense of things that is much deeper than someone else. So I don't like it. I wish it wouldn't happen because it didn't happen in 2016 and the election was just as close. And Trump was just as surprised to Hillary as Biden is to Trump. Okay. But it's, I don't think it's a crisis. And we should also, let me just say this, because I was there. There's been some kind of reporting and punditry. Well, you know, 9-11 happened because of the Florida recount and Bush had a shortened transition. No. No. Right. 9-11 happened because 9-11 terrorists wanted it to happen, point one. Point two, the orientation of President George W. Bush was all domestic policy in the first year of his presidency entirely until 9-11. And the big domestic policy issue that they were completely focused on and working morning, noon and night on all through that summer was about getting stem cell research right at the federal level. And they had done tax cuts before that and the No Child Left Behind before that. So they were focused on domestic policy. And there were those who were warning about a potential terrorist attack and they just didn't pull that in and prioritize that. What you prioritize when you come in as a White House matters a lot. 
And much of that is determined whether your transition is 77 days or 40 days. Your priorities are your priorities. And I think we just get on get that on the record. Is there any worry that Trump is going to you know, give a speech and like, and now the alien craft in Area 51. Uh, oops, did I accidentally spill? Is, I mean, is there wor- like as, he, as you said, you really don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't play. And, and again, I am not trying to sound like a, uh, you know, a, a Trump supporter, a Trump basher. Either way, I like. But you really don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't follow any rules. Uh, there's no 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 being civil or cordial. It's just whatever pops into his head. It, he is Twitter. He really is Twitter. It pops into his head and he tweets it or says it. Um, is there are there worries about that in inside the beltway there that he's got, you know, he might just start throwing things out there? There are. And I I don't indulge them because like you, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I know every current president and certainly an about to be outgoing president does worry about the legacy. And look, if he were really, really into this, he'd be at the podium every day and he's not. And those who are closest to him would be at the microphones every day. And that sort of dissipated and subsided. Um, Now, that's not to say that there aren't people making irresponsible statements, even when the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, I think was joking when he said, there'll be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. And they had this kind of smirk on his face. This is not a time for smirking, okay? And that's not a good look for our allies. And I actually think our allies are doing the most responsible thing. And I pointed this out on my podcast. Look, uh, Britain, France, Germany, and Israel for sure have exceptional, sophisticated intelligence services. And they would never, not in 7 billion years, recommend to their government that the head of those governments phone Joe Biden and describe him in public as the president-elect. If there was a scintilla of uncertainty about this election and where it was going to ultimately land. And when Israel, Germany, France, and Britain do that, and then publicly describe the phone calls they've had with president-elect Biden, they're sending a signal to the world and they're trying to send a signal to us as our friends. As our long-standing friends, it's okay. It's going to be okay. We're here for you. We're here with you. And we're encouraged about the possibilities. I hope people in this audience and anyone who might ever hear this finds that reassuring, because I know I do. Major, do you think that, let's let, you know, I think enough time's passed. Let's talk 2024. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I'm over Can't this. wait. Hold. Hot I'm damn. Over. You need to get to work. Yeah. So, do you think that, uh, you know, people say Biden won with more votes than anybody else. Trump lost with more votes yep. than anybody else. Yep. So do you think that that because if you're watching from an entertainment standpoint, you see where the numbers lie. You see that template and you apply it. Um, that's a big number. Uh, the loser put up. Does the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and CBS, for that matter, look at that and say, that's the new normal because that's where the people live? Or does this, do we put some toothpaste back in the tube here and say, it's the new normal for that. We had a mad king kind of mentality. We need to pull back. That's a great question. And I I just don't have an answer for you. Uh, Part of it will depend on Trump's overall temperament and the way he conducts the next two or three weeks. Uh, And then after that, the remaining weeks of his uh, waning presidency. 
Um, it will depend on the comportment of Republicans. Uh, as I said on CBS this morning, the day we're broadcasting this or recording this rather on Wednesday, I said, look, Republicans are telling themselves a story right now. And the story they're telling themselves is we have to give Trump room. We have to let him exhaust all these illegal options. We know that there's nothing there. We know there's no there there, but not one of us can go to him and tell him that he's got to get there on his own. And we've got to coax him to that place. And once we do that, we won't have at created an atmosphere around whatever he says that creates a sense of disbelief and anger and frustration in among his supporters that's even deeper than it would have been if we had told him from the get-go, we're not standing by for this nonsense and go out and concede right now. That's the story they're telling them. This will be better. We won't have really encouraged anything and we won't have created this alarming moment of disillusionment among Trump supporters. That's the story they're telling themselves. Well, they also told themselves a story in the springtime about COVID which is this was Trump's Churchillian moment when he was going to be the optimistic, brave leader to carry a country through a tremendous difficulty and lead it with vision and courage and tenacity. As I said on CBS this morning, I'll let them be the judge if that happened. But I will quote Churchill. You can't reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. <laughs> See, I really that, don't understand that. I don't understand those are those moments. But but when you're not getting traction as a politician now, there is a thing, like you said, Churchillian, there is Trumpian now. When you're not getting traction, throw the ball uh, as fast and as hard as you can at your opponent. And Five balls. Up. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is going to be a tactic, I think, going forward. It very well might be. And people will have to decide what their appetite is for that and whether or not there's a resonance for that and whether or not that is a way to reach and mobilize people. And Trump will have a very big part in deciding how much of a role he will play in that. You know, let's say he does two things. Doesn't concede, that's the one thing he does because that's an anti-decision, that's still a decision. I'm not doing it, I won't concede. And then as soon as Inauguration Day is over, whether he's there or not, he says, I filed my papers for my campaign in 2024. And here's my super PAC. And here's the fundraising number. And here are the emails going out. And all right, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Christy Nome, uh, Tom Cotton, everyone else who wants to take me on, come at me. Because I'm the biggest, baddest dog on this block. And you guys don't have a chance. Well, Republican primary voters will have a chance to render that judgment in 2024. I, if Trump does that, which... Seems to me like at least a possibility, if not a probability, then we'll we'll all see. But it's also possible that people say, you know what, We're, we 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 really meant it. We're really done. Yeah. And there, there... and 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 those seventy million votes are not so much about you, but about this thing that we're afraid of. We're afraid of socialism. We're afraid of defunding the police. We're afraid of uh, this idea of a green new deal, which to us sounds maybe aspirationally on the right track, but from a policy and tax perspective, way too far and way too fast for us. I mean, I do think there was a hesitancy there that Democrats have got to deal with. They've got to absorb that message. There's a message like, slow your roll. And if you're going to talk about these things, you better come at us with a different language and a different pace so we can absorb it in a way that's better for you and that maybe you'll bring us along. Because right now, there's 70 million votes that said, uh, not only are we not along with this ride, we're trying everything we can do to stop it. And I would go to say there's probably 100 million votes that yeah. say this wasn't uh, for Biden. This was against Trump. Um, 
And there's, there's a good group of Democrats not super excited about Biden that just want it off the train. And sure. I think that Biden's job right now is to not only appeal to the 70 million that didn't vote for him, but the 30 million that were celebrating Trump's dismissal rather than his arrival. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I enjoy think that. Have fun with that. Yeah. yeah. I think Biden has the same chance. I thought, you know, I always give the, the new president the benefit of the doubt. I did it with Trump. I did it with Biden. You know, Trump, most of the time he'd get on TV and I'd be like, oh, why did you do that? Just for me, yeah. just personally, I go, oh, you had an opportunity to say something so great. Take it instead of going the divisive way, instead of going the way just just the way you say something mm -hmm. is is so important, especially as the president. Yeah. What now? One of the criticisms and like I said, um, I, I'm I'm. I don't the, the right word here is, uh, you know, giving Biden a chance. That's the phrase for me, just like gave Trump a chance, especially at the beginning. Um, the criticism of Biden, he's in the basement. You can't find him. Right. Um, all that kind of stuff. You know, early on, I thought, you know, he is kind of hiding out. But then I started to think about it a little bit more. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of like that. I, I kind of hope his presidency is a little bit more like that. I remember growing up, you didn't hear from the president all the time. It were only massive events mm -hmm. that you would hear. Yeah. And, and maybe it started with Bush 9-11. Uh, maybe, it, and, you know, President Obama became a celebrity and was on TV a lot and, you know, for very different reasons than Trump. But he was on there. The president's become like the celebrity and is everywhere all the time. For me, I think that step back in celebrity and hopefully both Kamala and Joe Biden do step back just not to see them. I don't know if it can happen in 2020, right. but I, I look forward to that. Cause I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know what I am exactly, you know, maybe closer on the libertarian ish kind of thing, mm -hmm. but a little more socially left, a little more fiscally right, I guess. But in, in terms of, Hey, I don't want to hear from this guy, right. you know, yeah. only when something is really, really bad or really, really great. So much of the time presidents have been talking for the last 20 years. It's just a talk. Mm -hmm. And especially the last four years, there's an interesting dynamic that goes on in the approval ratings of modern American presidents. They tend to go up a few points in August and December. When they're not around, they don't show up. Precisely. Vacation. Yeah, they're not there. <laughs> There's no, there's no holiday in August. There's no reason to talk to them in Christmas. Wow, yeah, they, that's they go, weird. they go on vacation, and suddenly yeah. they go, their numbers go up. Like, not, not, I'm not saying they get this magnificent bounce. They go up 17 points. They'll be go three or four, five, maybe five, because they're not in our face every day. And Frank, you are tapping into something that's very important. People just don't need to have this. And Biden is many things. One of the things he is for sure is the anti-celebrity president. Obama was a celebrity and a brand. Trump was a celebrity and a brand. Biden is this long experienced legislative force in American political life, gradual stumbler. Two of his presidential campaigns before were not just failures, they were abject, hideous, really awful failures. And he waited and waited and waited, dutifully served as a vice president, didn't run, watched something happen at the very tail end of his life. I mean, when he's inaugurated to be 78 years old, the oldest president in American history by a substantial number of years, he will actually be a pretty baby boomer. I mean, that's how much a throwback he is. Wow. He was born in 1942. Bill Clinton ushered in the baby boom era of presidents. We've had a baby boom president ever since. Joe Biden will be a pre-baby boomer. But don't worry, the next president will be a Gen Xer. <laughs> you think? 
There's no other probability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't math know. doesn't work any other way. Trump can live for another 20 years. Just ask me at the hydrochloroquine. He's going for it. <laughs> I had well, a Rebzemnev well, 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 cocktail. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to see like the the uh, the UV and Lysol treatments will be perfected <laughs> by 2023. Major, I, have, I have the ultimate question for you right now because I want to see your face. Yeah, I got and I got to go after gotta, that one. We'll end with this one. Okay. Uh, CBS says, Major, we've got uh, a guy interested in coming on. He wants to be part of our political team. His name's Donald Trump. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the reaction I thought you had. What do you do? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> just see it now. I can just see it now. Uh, remember, this is 60 Minutes. We used to have Andy Rooney the last five minutes of the show. Now, five minutes with Donald Trump. Uh, 45 minutes. It's the only way to take the deal. Did you ever wonder? Yeah. Where does the sun go at night? Really, I've looked into it. You know, people yeah, have I'm, been fat. Why, why, why is the cereal box so empty? <laughs> why would I get my cereal box? There's only half cereal in there. You know why that is? Yeah, that's Donald sort of, Trump's doing that. It, well, it would, be, it would be ratings gold, no doubt about it. And that's somebody will hire. It's like it's like Antonio Brown. Somebody will want him. Yeah, it'll 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 happen. It might be just like Antonio Brown. Who knows? Who knows? All right, Major. Yeah. Well, next time, next time, uh, I really want to talk about polling more too. When we get <laughs> the, what the future is of that, maybe I'll get find Frankie. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll we'll get into uh, regression tables and cross tabs. I think it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. I'm in. Let's do it tomorrow, boys. <laughs> uh, Major awesome. Garrett, the the debrief, the, the, the debrief, debrief, the, I, debrief. I, I the, the debrief. debrief. I, yeah. I listen to how you debrief. said it. I, I keep wanting to say it differently. Uh, That's, that's okay. a porn site, Frank. Deeper debrief is something I go to. <laughs> for all of your high-end political analysis right <laughs> no, it's a great it's a great episode i mean i've listened to some oh, it's but awesome. it's just it's really yeah, really you. great thank uh you. really well done and uh I'm proud of it I, I i texted toledo before the show because he listened to it he's like this is great and i'm like uh, major's podcast he's like yeah and he said, it's really well produced. He's like, that's a shot. I'm like, no, no, no. It's Frank, <laughs> not John. John would have said that as a shot. I'm just saying it's it's a really well put together podcast. Thank you. So Thank you very congratulations much. to you on that and uh, everything. And and also to your uh, your whole team for putting that together, too. Thank so. you, man. Thank you. And uh, we'll do it again. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Major. See you. We're going to do three minutes of sports. Oh, we're not <laughs> trying to leave. Major's got to go. Get him off my screen. <laughs> just put his hair. Just freeze his there hair. There he goes. Do we even want to do sports? We don't need sports. Should we just no, that's a pretty Steelers, well encapsulated Steelers eat no. Steelers are never going to lose. No never sports. Again. And uh, there'll be no Super Bowl this year because it's all rigged. They're taking away my Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you I, know what? I, I, this is that cross your fingers moment as a team uh, that has never been eight no is eight no, and then the, the that now they've got COVID. So you're like, oh, no. oh yeah. Oh, do so, they have COVID? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, they don't. Four people are in protocol. Vance McDonald had it on the plane, tested positive, and Ben sits next to Vance on the plane ride home. So Ben's in protocol. Jalen Samuels and two other players are and in. How many the, staff? Wasn't there like seven staff? Yeah, 
There's well, I don't know. They didn't have a ton. I don't know if it was that high. I haven't seen that. I've seen that a lot of people are definitely out of the building. Oh, maybe that's it. So, but they're all just kind of adjacent to someone who they know had it. So they're taking all the precautions. So far, so good. But no practice for those players and Sunday walkthroughs. If they test positive, they can play. But wow. that's the only like, uh, and that would stink. Like if a team's eight, no, I don't want them to be sixteen and zero. I want them to stumble, but it would be nice to see the run go. If they're going to do 16 and 0, I'm all for it, but uh, it would stink if it was because of COVID. Yeah. I don't know. All right. I had, I hadn't heard that news. So that's yeah. uh, that happened today. Was that today or am I yes. just way behind? Yesterday. Oh, yes. Most, most of the news happened yesterday and then kind of the details of it are uh, happening today. Trickling that out. and the Tony LaRusso thing, which is just something ah. we should get. What's that, the Tony Larusa thing? I didn't see that. He, he got the day before he got hired by the White Sox. Um, the he had another DUI here. Evidently, they pressed oh. charges on him. It was in February, but and and so that's the second one he's had. He had one in Florida, and if you remember when he was in Florida, while he's sitting in the holding room, they're like, he's telling the guy, you know who I am, right? Like I'm a um. I'm a big deal. I'm a I'm a big deal coach. When they get him here on the camera and the police report, he's like, you see this ring? I'm legit. I'm a hall of famer. You don't know who you're dealing with. And it's like, he went on this and you're like, Oh no. And the white Sox hired him the day after they pressed charges. Evidently he let them in on everything. So they're sticking to it, but he's, this is not a good look. I'll tell you, I will tell you this as before we go, I met so many superstar sports people that think rules don't apply to them. Yeah. Um, the, like, uh, drinking and driving people. I mean, just a lot of, a lot of hall of fame people that you go, come on, man. And you go, well, I, you gotta know who I am. And it's like, yeah. I'm in my territory and in this state, I, I can do whatever I want. I'm like, you just, that's the worst way to think about they it. They don't it's realize like, that it's, that, that may be true. Like nine times out of 10 that they're going to get away with it. But the one they don't looks twice as bad as all the times they got away with. It's, or kills somebody. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, That's luckily, the worst. Not, but I mean, just from a, a PR standpoint and avoiding the obvious terrible side, it, it, it's, it becomes their legacy. Donovan McNabb is always going to be, you know, I make fun of Steve Keim all the time, uh, the Cardinals GM, and goof on that because that becomes that moment. Yes, you made a mistake, but the embarrassing part was as a, a public figure, you're now linked to a story where you tried to tell a lot. The camera, chest camera caught you saying, I'm the head of security for blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, no, this has to be made fun of because you are a parody of yourself. So, yeah, it's weird. But Tony LaRusso is not good. Yeah, we should uh, we should do another podcast and throw all the sports stuff in there. We'll uh, I, I know Tony fairly well, apparently not as well as I thought, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll get him on. We'll talk about it. He doesn't remember oh, you. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, we're not getting him on. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Yay, great you. call. Great call on thinking of major uh, a week ago. That really worked out well. I, was, yeah, he's I awesome. thought it was. Yeah, and it was uh, great to put some uh, some conspiracies to rest. Hopefully, yeah. although they probably won't be. They're, he's just so level-headed, uh, whether you believe him or not. Yeah, he's good. And and the people who don't want to believe this will just sit back and go, "He wants you to believe that he's part of the media." Right. So well, like I said, I'm all for Trump counting every single vote, and it should be every legal vote. That's all right, but you but can't. That's always go on been there. what should happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and it's just I don't like going. Uh, this is a this is all a facade. That's for us yeah. to talk about, not for the yeah. actual people. Exactly. Well Damn. done. Good book, guys. Nice job.